the eighth chapter of the epistle to the Romans to these verses we have read together and I would like us to focus our attention very specially on verse 28 for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose Many years ago, a young fellow of 18 was having his evening Bible reading in candlelight. He was reading in this chapter. And when he came to verse 28, he paused, and for a moment or two, he was absolutely thrilled. Being a new convert, he said, I wonder do the people down there in the church know that the Bible says this? And so he went to the prayer meeting some days later and during a lull in the prayers he stood up and read this verse. Now I don't know whether he expected everyone to shout hallelujah or something but nobody moved. There wasn't a murmur throughout the whole of the congregation. It's absolutely amazing how we get used to these tremendous statements in the word of God and they lose their sublimity we fail to be thrilled when we come to read them maybe for the hundred or the hundred and one time that young boy became a pioneer missionary in the heart of Africa he died in 1949 his name was Robert Moffat now let us look at this section of the epistle to the Romans. The apostle has been taking us through the great sections that deal with justification by faith. He has gone on through the great sections that have caused so many problems in connection with sanctification. And now he comes to this section which is dealing with the final act in the great drama of our redemption our glorification glorification is the subject of this part of the epistle to the Romans glorification is promised in verses 12 to 17 we have the expectation of it in verses 18 to 27 and we have the certainty of it in verses 28 to 30 and so the apostle is dealing with glorification and while he dwells on that the final end of our salvation he is conscious that nevertheless in the present time we are subjected to suffering he who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution the Christian is not exempt from persecution, from suffering, from hardship. And so the apostle is well aware here in this section that while we await the final glory, there is a measure of suffering we must pass through. Verse 17, and if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together 
Now let the Christian know if he is walking with God in faith and prayer, any suffering that comes his way is not punishment but chastisement. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he desireth. And so the Christian is subject to these kind of things, the ups and downs, the problems, the tensions of life. And uh, the apostle here makes a very quick uh, uh, account. He, he has a little bit of spiritual arithmetic here. He makes two columns. In one, he writes down some of the sufferings that the Christian has to face in this life. And in the other column, the glories that await the Christian on the other side. And he comes uh, clearly with this calculation. I reckon, he says, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. However, I think the apostle comes to the climax, to the heights, to the highest point in this whole uh, portion of scripture in reference to glory when he comes to verse 28. And he sees there and he reveals to us from the scripture that all the Christian has to pass through before he reaches glory. The ups and the downs, the sufferings, as well as those days that are beautiful and sunny. Everything that happens in his life is but preparation. Under the providence of God, preparation for the glory that awaits the Christian at the end of the road. And so he says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I want to say three things about this verse. I usually keep to three things. I can remember them better myself that way. And uh, the first of them is we have here a, a sweet certainty. This is something we know, according to the Apostle. We know, he says. This is the very first statement he makes. And then he informs us that this knowledge is restricted to a select company. It's not everybody who knows this. It's those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. And there's a sure confidence uh, for those who have this knowledge those who belong to this company that all things are working together for their good now let's look at the sweet certainty first of all we know says the apostle now there are things the Christian knows there are things the Christian doesn't know and when we don't know let us say firmly we don't know but when there are things we know, let's affirm that these things we know. When I was a very young Christian, someone said this to me. They said, always doubt your doubts, but believe your beliefs. Let's relegate the things we don't know to the things we don't know. But the things we do know, let's affirm them with all the assurance we have. And this is one of these great certainties. We know 
Among the things we don't know, there's one in this very portion of Scripture. The Apostle says, we know not how to pray as we ought. But we are reminded that even in some of the things we don't know, we have the help of God. When we don't know how to pray as we ought, let's remember there is one at the throne of God who is making intercession for us. And remember there is one with us and in us who is helping us in our infirmities and making intercession for us with sighs that are too deep for words. But tonight we're looking at the things we know. The man in the world, the unconverted man, sometimes thinks we Christians are rather presumptuous. He says, how do you know these things? And of course our answer is, we know these things because of the trustworthiness of the one who guarantees these things for us by his word and by his character. We're not speculating when we talk about the things we know. The assurance is given to us because of our personal knowledge with the eternal God who has entered into covenant with us and has given us many precious covenant promises. And so we know <clears throat> by the cognition of faith what we are going to say now. These are things we know. Uh, the unregenerate man has to uh, say very often where the Christian says we know, he has to say I don't know. His philosophy is one of agnosticism, we don't know. I think it's all summed up in, in that little incident in the life of <coughs> Robert Burns when he turned over with his plowshare that little mouse house in the field, the field mouse. And he started to talk to that little mouse and among many things he said this, but thou art blessed compared to me. The future only toucheth thee, the present only toucheth thee. But o oh, backward cast my eo prospects drear and forward though I cannot see a guess and fear. Now that is the philosophy of the unregenerate. The Christian knows certain things about the past. He knows certain things about the future. He knows certain things about the present. What do we know about the past? Well, here's one of the great things we know about the past. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Now there's something worth knowing. The picture there, by the way, is of a ferry boat conveying people from one side to the other side. And what is being said is the Christian knows that he has been ferried across from the death side to the life side. We know that we have passed from death to life. Now that's something worth knowing. What do we know about the future? Well, says the Apostle John, we know that when we shall see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's what we know about the future. And what do we know about the present? We know, says the Apostle, that presently, at this present time, all things are working together 
for our good. Now these are some of the certainties that we know from Holy Scripture and we are looking at this one tonight. We know that all things work together for good. Now as I've said, it's not for everyone to say this. It's not everyone who knows this. And so there's a restriction on this verse to the people who know this. And two characteristics come from the verse. The people who know this are those, first of all, who love God. Now, do you love God? Do you love God with an affection that is genuine? With a love that is sincere? Do you love God? Not because uh, perhaps you have had a glimpse into the records of uh, the great purposes of God in the book of life. None of us have had that. Not because we have heard our names recited from uh, uh, the Lamb's book of life, the role of the chosen. No. We love him because he first loved us. We love him in response to his love to us. And if you love God like this with all sincerity, then you are part of this company. Those who love God. It's the duty of every man, woman and child in this world to love God. When we think of the way God has loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten Son. But whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life and if you don't love God sincerely and genuinely it's because something else is taking the place of that love in your heart and in your life oh taste and see that the Lord is good happy blessed is the man who trusts in him but there's another characteristic of those people who have this knowledge. They are the called ones according to God's purpose. Purpose-wise, his called ones. I heard the call, come follow, that was all. Earth joys grew dim, my soul went after him. I rose and followed, that was all. Will you not follow? Have you not followed when you heard his call? Have you followed God? Have you heard his call? Are you one of his choice ones, one of his chosen ones? One of those who are purpose-wise, his called ones? You know, the doctrine of the choice of God in its sacred mystery refuses to be explained away so as to mean in effect nothing more or nothing less than the choice of man it is presented to us everywhere in the scripture and not least in the epistles and not least in this epistle as a truth that is not meant to uh, to clear everything away uh, by way of the problems that surround this but mainly to inform us that if we love God then we have not to congratulate ourselves for this but the God of all love and the God of all mercy and the God of all grace that our eyes that were so guiltily shut 
have been effectively opened by the power of God. Any part of the chain of redemption that would suggest uh, belongs to us uh, would cause the chain to be fragile indeed. The whole chain is forged by God himself. If we love God now, it's all of his doing. It's all his work in our hearts. It's his mercy. We ought to have loved him always. It's of his mercy that we love him now. You see the force of verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. It's not merely that he had foreknowledge of what we would do. But it was his foredecision of what he would do in our lives. He predestinated us. And having done that in the past eternity in this world, uh, this time-space world, he called us to himself. And having called us, he justified us. And having justified us, he goes on sanctifying us. And having done all that, finally, he glorified us. I wonder, did you notice the tense there? Even our glorification is spoken of as something in the past. A fact ready, already accomplished. Have you noticed that? James Denny, as a matter of fact, says that the tense in this last event is amazing. It is the most daring anticipation of faith that even the New Testament uh, contains. Our glorification, as well as our justification, is presented to us here as something already accomplished. The pilgrim is already in the immortal country. Now that's wonderful, isn't it? that we are as good as there already although we are st still in this veil of tears now how do I know what evidence have I got that uh, I have this assurance of all things working together for good the first one is do I love God sincerely genuinely the second thing is this is there any evidence in my life now that I am being conformed to the image of God's Son. Is there a change, a process going on of sanctification in my life? Am I walking in the way of holiness? Is God leading me out of the way of darkness and sin into a life of holiness? You see, the process of conformity should be going on now. And these are some of the indications that we belong to this select company, this elect company, who have this very blessed, this very sweet assurance that all things are working together for good. And that is the final part I would like to deal with in this, uh, in this wonderful verse. The sure consequence of belonging to this company who have the assurance. This is what's happening to us. All things are working together for our good. All things working together for our good. 
the tense there is a present continuous tense not that all things work together for good but all things are working together for our good and we have here the fact of uh, constant working things work life is made up of many forces and although at times they seem quite stationary nevertheless they are always at work all things work says the apostle and then he gives us something of the comprehensiveness of this working all things work all things I've met some people and they're prepared to say that the great events of their lives are ordered by God but not the small details of life but you know I believe that the true Christian soul refuses to accept anything as outside the direct or the permissive will of the Heavenly Father all things is all things and it means all things and I believe that all things the great and the small are working together for our good that means our bleak days as well as our bright days it means uh, our disappointments and bereavements as well as our so-called red-letter days our mountaintop experiences our valley experiences our blue heavenly days our red-letter days our bleak gray days every experience we pass through is uh, working together for us not long ago a friend of mine in this city passed to his reward some of you may know him he was an art dealer as a matter of fact he had perhaps the best salon of fine art in the city of Glasgow his gallery was surrounded by the most beautiful paintings of uh, past and contemporary artists and I remember standing there one day in the gallery with him he was a very very fine Christian gentleman and he said this to me he said Willie have you noticed that the predominant color in all of these pictures is gray gray he says you know it's the grays that bring out the greens and the blues and the, the reds and uh, most of our days probably are gray days don't forget that the grays are the days that uh, is the color that highlights all the other wonderful colors and so all things work and then it says here there's a harmony in 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 the working all things work together they're all working together they are interlocked together all of these things you say is it possible for the cold north winds to harmonize with the southern breezes can sunshine and tears be harmonized yes they can and instance after instance could be quoted to show that they do all things work together together I remember once in Glasgow we were having a very bad time weather wise and uh, 
That's not unusual in the city of Glasgow, but this was a real bad time we were going through. Terrible winds and rain and everything. And uh, one of our homespun poets put a little ditty in the Evening Times. And I thought it was so good that I, I jotted it down. I've never forgotten it. It said this, wind and water and glore. Deed in it might have been war. That means worse for those of you who only know the Gaelic. Uh, in fact, it went on to say, for had we know had a sure, it all be choked with stour. You see, everything was harmonizing. Everything was so necessary. Everything was working together. Everything working together. We have a God who causes everything to work together. He's the God who tells the number of the stars and gives each one his name. He is the God who measures our tears in his bottle. And notice too that all things work together for good. Look at the beneficence of this working. For good. The staircase may wind, but each step is one higher than the preceding one. And we are on the way upward all the time. All things working together for our good. It's just like uh, the doctor's prescription. Many of you have had it, I've had it myself. It said on it, the mixture as before. And I've gone to the chemist and I haven't seen him, but I know what he does. He takes a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And this little bit of this might do me a lot of harm, but when it's mixed with a little bit of that and a little bit of something else, then altogether it does me good. And you'll notice that the bottle says, shake it all together. Shake it well before you take it. All things working together good and I'm old enough now to look down through the years and to see the many instances that for me were bitter but now as I look back I can see the hand of God was there it was God who was ordering these things the steps of a good man ordered by the Lord I can see also there were times when the stops were ordered by the Lord it's not always the step. Sometimes he stops us. Sometimes he does things that we cannot understand. But after a while, as the years pass and as we look back in retrospect, we see the hand of God in all these things. All things working together for our good. Are we living in this? wonderful sunshine or are we not you know many times I find that Christians are not living in this lovely sunny uh, situation believing that all things work together for good remember Jacob in the Old Testament I read about Jacob in Genesis 42 and 36 he said all things are against me all things are against me poor Jacob I tell you what was happening to Jacob, he was suffering from a partial view of the facts. He didn't know all the facts at that time. Poor Jacob thought that Joseph was dead, he thought Simeon was dead, he thought he was going to lose Benjamin. 
but Benjamin was kept in safety. Simeon wasn't dead, Joseph wasn't dead. And by and by Jacob was going to see how wrong he was to say all things are against me. He was suffering also from defective memory. I wonder had he forgotten the harm that had led him up to his old age. I wonder had he forgotten that time in his experience when solitary and alone and far from home he lay down on a pillow of stones and how that night the Lord came to him and revealed to him the ladder that stretched from heaven to earth and the angels of God ascending and descending on the ladder. He had forgotten about that. He had forgotten that in the bitter experience with Laban, when Laban tried to deceive him so often that God had brought him out with a, with a great blessing on his head. He had forgotten that in his confrontation with Esau, it wasn't as hard as he had thought it was going to be. He had forgotten that experience at Jabbok when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord until the morning broke and when his name was changed from Jacob to Israel. Yes, it's so easy to forget and to dwell in the shadows and to think all things are against me. Two Christians met on one occasion and one said to the other, you know, I find it difficult to trust God when everything is dark. And his friend replied, listen, my friend, if you can't trust your friend when he's out of sight, he's not worth owning as a friend. And if you can't trust God when you can't see him, then you have no trust in God at all. The psalmist David says in Psalm 91, Not under his wings thou shalt see, but under his wings thou shalt trust. Under his wings thou shalt trust. And so let's come out from the shadows. Let's get into the sunshine. Let's believe what the scripture says, that all things are working together now for our good, and the glory shall yet be revealed. And after it's all over, we'll be able to say uh, about our Heavenly Father, my Father planned it all. It was all his plan. It was all in the great plan that he had for my life. We'll be able to say with our own Rutherford, I'll bless the hand that guided. I'll bless the heart that planned when crowned with glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. All things work together for good. You know, it's sometimes very difficult to believe this. I remember reading about uh, the Bishop of Durham, Dr. Hanley Mole. Would to God there were more bishops like Hanley Mole in the Church of England today. Well, Dr. Hanley Mole was called to a great pit disaster during his ministry in Durham. Many lives had been lost under underground. He had heard of great distress at the pit head, many tears, a lot of sadness, a lot of distress. And he wondered what he would say to these people when he got there. And what the bishop did was this. 
he took with him one of these canvas samplers that had some beautiful words embroidered into the canvas in glorious shining letters but you know when he got there he didn't show the letters he turned round the reverse of the canvas and all the people could see were the tangled threads blacks and yellows and greens and reds and blues a tangled mess you might say and then very slowly he turned over the sampler and there were these words in glorious living letters God is love despite it all he was able to say to these people God is love and this is it at the end of the day we'll have to confess that it was love that guided us all through all the perplexities and through all the trials and through all the difficulties and brought us at last to glory some of you may have seen another sampler that says this not till the loom is silent and the shuttle cease to fly will God unfold the canvas and reveal the reason why the dark threads were as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he had planned we know we Christians know all things work together for our good we who love God we who are the called according to his purpose and my friend if you don't have this assurance if this certainty doesn't belong to you tonight oh I urge upon you consider the great love that the Father hath bestowed upon us consider the love that God has demonstrated by sending his son to be the savior of the world on the cross consider what your response ought to be to the love of God that you too may know that all things in your life are working together for good let us pray our gracious God we give thee thanks for thy precious word tonight we thank thee for reminding us of this wonderful truth we have been considering we thank thee for the great salvation that is ours justified by faith alone in the death of our Lord and Redeemer Jesus Christ we thank thee for the work of sanctification that is going on presently in our lives we thank thee too for the glory that awaits those who love thee sincerely and who are the purpose wise thy called ones we thank thee our heavenly father for the truth sometimes difficult to see but oh enable us by faith to grasp it that all our problems and difficulties our ups and downs our good days and our bad days are all contributing to the glory that shall yet be revealed in us and should there be among us those who have not got this assurance as yet wilt thou graciously deal with them or wilt thou call them also to thyself open their eyes to see the love of God to behold the manner of thy love and to turn and seek the Lord while he may be found hear us we beseech of thee cleanse us and receive us
and anoint us and renew us and all we ask is in the Saviour's name and for his sake. Amen.